Overflow podcast. We pray that you are encouraged with this message. For more information, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Anything that we see on TV, anything that we hear about men, it's always, it's always boozed up. It's always, uh, it, it's always driven by perversion. You guys know what I'm talking about. Like it's almost like if you want to be masculine, if you want to be manly in the eyes of the world, you have to be sinful. Right, it's all driven around uh, drunkenness and perversion, and women half dressed, which actually devalues women. Right, and so really, I believe this. I believe with all my heart that really the enemy has gone to battle against the man because the man is really the standard setter. Come on, are you with me? Of the home, and so what's happened is is our homes are being crushed today because men, most of uh, sexual perversion issues, all all revolve around a bad experience with a man. Most of those things are very driven by a father wound. Are you with me? And so what happens is someone wasn't treated, uh, either a woman wasn't wasn't loved, doesn't hasn't experienced the love, the good love of a father, and so she goes out looking for other love in other men. And so we see the same thing with men. We don't know how to we don't know how to be men because. Because we didn't have a man in our life to model that. And really society has just got this thing going on to where they, they devalue men. And not only just men in general, but also the role of the father. Uh, sitcoms, uh, comer- uh, cartoons, everything. All of it, try, they try to make dad look stupid. Right? And incapable. Oh, dad can't change a dauber. A mom's the only one that can get anything right. Dad's just stupid. He's this guy that goes out and earns money. He's just kind of like this machine. If we punch the buttons right, then he'll function properly, and then he'll come in, and he'll just kind of roll with the system that mom, mom has established. Now, this is no way to dishonor moms, uh, but the thing is, is if, if husbands and men are doing what they need to do, and that is being valued, then everything else will function properly. But what we've done is we've devalued that, and we've said, well, we don't really need men. Men are just stupid. And we have a generation of people that, that live with this father wound, and really all of that can be reversed just by learning honor. And I believe, listen, I believe it's an underlying attack to really diminish our view of, of God being our heavenly father. And so really, it's all an attack on God. It really is all done subtly uh, through these other things. I've been a father for almost 10 years, um, and I have tons of, you know, spiritual sons and daughters that I take very seriously. You know, 1 Corinthians 4.15 uh, talks about, you know, the, the rate being, being that spiritual father and things like that. And he says that you have many teachers but not many fathers. So for me, as someone that's been in the ministry for a long time, it hasn't been just something that, that I— just to be an occupation to be a preacher, but really the people that, that I invest in, I really see my role like a father. Like I treat them like my kids. I don't treat them like, you know, someone who just comes and, and indulges on our ministry and then goes away. Like I really believe in raising up spiritual sons and daughters, and I feel a responsibility from heaven for that, not just to raise up my own children uh, in the admonition of the Lord, but also those that come that God calls me to lead. And so I believe that, that part, part of the problem in our culture is that we've only fathered our own, right? And uh, we, we've made such a, an emphasis in the kingdom about going out and, and leading people to Jesus and getting them to say a prayer. And then what we do is we have all these kids running around without daddies. 
right? And so no one's there to nurture them. No one's there to disciple them. Uh, you know, the, the Great Commission is to go preach the gospel to all creation, but that it doesn't end there. It says then, right after that, it says teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So Jesus, I don't believe Jesus' idea of winning the earth uh, for the kingdom of God is about a big crusade and getting people to raise their hand, but to make disciples, to raise people up to be spiritual sons and daughters, uh, not just of earthly spiritual fathers and mothers, but also of the heavenly father, and that, that we get to partner with God's heavenly heart like that. So uh, that's God's heart. God's heart is fatherhood. It, it is the drive of heaven, and, uh, and we've missed that in the church. We just, we just like to create spiritual orphans. Are you with me? And so, you know, I would rather have, I'd rather have 10 good spiritual sons in my life than have thousands of converts because I believe the reach is deeper that way. I believe I can reach generations that way. And so, um, you know, you, you, you might feel convicted sometimes about you don't talk to enough people about Jesus. You don't lead enough people to the Lord. Listen, if, if, you, can, if you can get about a dozen people like Jesus did, Come on, and raise them up and, and nurture them. And as long as you're pouring your life into somebody. Now, listen, you're, you're, you have a direct responsibility for your own children. Come on. But also those outside of your family. Are you all okay? That's my soapbox, and, uh, and I'm going to stay on it for the rest of my life. Um, this, this is serious business. But I remember when Mariah was born. Um, Mariah and Judah were both born in our home. And uh, I remember when Mariah was born, and I remember holding her for the first time and feeling this responsibility that, I, that, that for now on, if, if, and this, this is supposed to happen when you get married, it's supposed to happen when you come to Jesus, but I remember for now on, like, it's, it's really all about her. And, and I remember with each of my children, when they're born, it's this, it's this weight, this heavenly weight. I believe it's a God-given responsibility that comes on me when my children are born. And we've talked about this uh, sometimes whenever we have a child born. It takes me probably about a year to get my stress levels where they need to be because all of a sudden I have this huge weight on my shoulders of, of, of raising this child. And I think that God puts that on us. I think that that's a godly thing that we have this weight on us to, to, to raise our children. Um, there's a comedian, I can't remember his name, Jim Gaffigan or something like that. He, he shares the joke. He's like, well, what's it like having four kids? He said, well, imagine you're drowning and somebody hands you a baby. And, uh, and is that, is that, did I say his name right? Gaffigan? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that guy. And so anyway, um, but, but I have this mentality. I remember my older brother, uh, and uh, I was talking to him right after Mariah was born. He's like, man, she's perfect. I was like, yeah, man, it just is so cool. And I, I looked at him, and, uh, and I said, I just hope I don't screw it up. And, uh, and it was really like that because they're born perfect, right? And so for us, it's just about maintaining and, and nurturing those things too. But, but uh, that, for me, that's the big responsibility. But how many are glad that you have a wise Abba? You have a heavenly father that, that is able to help us whenever we don't have the wisdom, we don't have all those, uh, you know, all, all of the tools that we need to raise our kids. We have a good heavenly father that can help us out if we'll go to him. And, and uh, he, he can show us how to do it. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. How many of you know in order to be a good father, you've got to learn to be a good son? And we cry to him, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. What a privilege and honor it is to have a wise heavenly father that can that can that we can go to anytime we need, that can nurture us, that can that, that is responsible for us. Isn't it good that, that you, you, you have responsibilities, but God is responsible for you, that you belong to God? Isn't that a beautiful thing? Um, there's a scripture I, I want to share, which seems a little weird to share on Father's Day, but, but I believe it, it fits in really well with what we're talking about uh, this morning. Years ago, my dad took uh, me and my family, we went on this trip to, up to Missouri, and we saw this thing called the Passion Play. And outside the Passion Play, they had this uh, exhibit of a guy that was kind of dressed in, you know, biblical garb. And he was out there, and he had an old-school potter, potter's wheel, and he had clay, and he was going to do this teaching. It was kind of an exhibit, kind of a, you know, let's go back 2,000 years ago and see what it was going to be like in the Bible. And uh, it's crazy. This guy didn't have any machinery, didn't have any electricity. He just did it old school. And he had, like, this huge millstone at the bottom. And then and then it came up and had a, a pole and it had another stone on it. And he would sit there, and, and I don't know how they had it rigged, but he would kick this wheel to cause that top wheel to spin. So he had one at his foot and one at the top where he put the clay on. And uh, the guy had, like, one calf was, like, huge, like, really big, and the other one was, like, a weightlifter's leg, right? You got all those little legs, except for some of y'all that work your legs out. He didn't, y'all said it like, it looks like he skipped leg day on that leg, and on this leg, he had this huge, like, monster, because that was the one that he used to kick the stone to get the, the potter's wheel uh, spinning. And... Uh, I never, I, I've read this scripture before, but I never thought of it this way. And this is what it says in Psalms 40, verse 1, 5. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now you're saying, what does that have to do with pottery? So this guy starts telling this story as he's rolling, spinning this potter's wheel. And he starts talking about that many days, many, many of the times what they would do as potters is they had to go out and they got to find the best clay to make pottery out of. It wasn't like they just went down to, you know, Hobby Lobby and bought a, bought a pound of, of clay. They actually had to go out and they had to find it. And so the best clay would be in these ditches uh, where there was mud and there was all this like funk and it was like really soft, wet clay. But it was, they were in ditches because the way the water would run off, it would... It would just work the soil in such a way that it would make this clay that was perfect for molding. And so many times what would happen is a, is a potter would go out to collect clay, and he'd actually slip off into these holes. He would go in there to get clay, and he'd fall into this hole, and he would just have to stand in this hole and call out until somebody came and could lift him out, either throw a rope or something down there while he was collecting clay. And so it's interesting when the psalmist says this, that it says that he lifted him out of this pit, of this dark place. He's calling out. He says he's calling out, and he lifts me out of the muck. He lifts me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he sets my feet upon a rock. And I remember this guy was, was sharing this story, and he, he's like, and he picks up this ball of clay, and he goes, and he sets my feet upon a rock. And he lays it on that potter's wheel. And that stone that the potter was, was, was molding this clay upon. And how many know that that's what God did with you? When you called out to him, he pulled you out of that desperate place. And he pulls you out. And he didn't set you, listen, he didn't set you on some flimsy old table that's, that's kind of, you know, wobbling on 
you know, four legs and you're trying to stick stuff. No, no, no. He set you on a rock. He set you on a firm place. And how many know that, that just because you're there doesn't mean he's done with you, but he's molding you. Do we, I think we have some pictures of some clay here. He's molding you just like that, just with his hands. He's got you on that rock and, and life is spinning and your life is moving and God is forming you. And it all came down to one thing, you realizing that you needed someone to rescue you and they pulled you out and they put you on a good place. Then he says this, he says, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the Lord, the man, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. How many are blessed because you trusted God, because you allowed him to put put you in that place? Who does not look to the proud or to those who turn aside to false gods? Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you plan for us, no one can recount to you. And we we're talking about this a lot in the series that we're on, the journey series. Were I to speak of them, they'd be too many to declare. So God has this incredible plan for you, and God has established you in such a way so you can accomplish that. So the Heavenly Father is forming us and fashioning us so we uh, can be all that He has called us to be. Are you with me? Now I have, I want, I want to share this morning a little bit about my dad. Uh, some of y'all met my dad. He was here last week. I think he's gonna be here next week. And, uh, they don't live in town, but when they're in town, they come to church with us. And, uh, there's three qualities I want to talk about that my heavenly father and my earthly father share. Things that I've learned about my heavenly father through my earthly father. Are you with me? Uh, because when God pulled me out, he set me on a slimy pit. I was 16 years old. I, I moved in with my dad. My parents were divorced when I was uh, about 10 months old. And so I didn't live with my dad. I wasn't really raised in church. And when I was 16 years old, my dad had, was serving the Lord again. He'd kind of been off and on with the Lord. And uh, when I was 16 years old, he said, son, if you, help, if you come and move in with me, I hope you get a car. I mean, you know, when you're 16, that's a big deal. So I moved in with my dad. He said, you're going to have to get a job. I was like, yes, sir, I'll get a job. And he's like, and you're going to have to do these things. You're going to have to go to church. You're going to have to go on Sunday mornings. You're going to have to go on Sunday nights. You're going to have to go on Wednesday nights. I mean, it was, it was intense. And some of y'all are like, whoa, three times a week? Yeah, twice in one day on Sundays. Twice. Some, some of us have, have a hard time making it to church twice a month. And so we go twice, twice a day. I'm not slamming anybody. But uh, so we, we, would have, we would do that, right? We'd go on Sundays, and I'd go on Wednesday nights, and then I had a job in order to get this car. Come on, it wasn't just given to me. And so when, God, so when I was 18, I kind of played the church game for a couple of years. But whenever I turned 18 and I called out to the Lord and I said, God, I'm going to serve you, God set me in a solid place. And that place was, was in the care of my earthly father. My earthly father is not just my earthly father. He's also one of my, I have several spiritual fathers, but, but he's one of my spiritual fathers as well. And he, he provided a very good foundation for me. My dad, um, the, I was working at this place called Harrigan's. It was a restaurant. I was busting tables. And then we started doing a paper route. And every morning, my dad would get up to work with me, and we'd throw this paper route. I would sit in the back seat and roll newspapers and toss them up in the front seat, and he'd throw them out the window. We had, man, we had delivered like, some days we'd deliver like 200 papers in like 45 minutes, but we just had it down. But the whole time that we'd be driving, we'd be talking about spiritual things. And we we had listened to worship music, and there was this uh, radio show that we used to listen to called Praise in the Night. It was kind of like a revival on radio, if you can, if you can uh, imagine that. My dad, man, would, sometimes we would have these heated debates and discussions about God and the Bible. And man, my dad would always nurture me. And one of the things that, that, that I remembered about my dad, just when I'm thinking about this, is anytime 
my dad and I would have a conflict. And any time that my dad would yell at me or maybe act the way that he wasn't supposed to do, my dad would come in to my room and he would sit at the foot of my bed. I mean, you guys got to gotta know this. I didn't really, I had a relationship with my dad, but I wasn't real close to him until I moved in with him. And he would come and he would sit down at the foot of my bed and he began to cry and he'd say, son, He's like, I've never done this before. I've never raised a teenager before. And I'm sorry where I failed you. And he would be real with me. And he would love on me. And he'd say, I'm sorry that I reacted the way that what you did was wrong. I'm not going to make excuses for that. He's like, but the way I responded was, well, one of the things that I always remember about my dad is that he was humble enough to admit when he screwed up. And uh, I can tell you, I I learned more from those moments. I learned as much from those moments as when he got it right. Because when he got it wrong, he made it right. And he would, man, he would cry, and he would, he would be real with me. And my, you guys have met my dad. My dad is, is a very manly man. There's nothing, there, there's, there's no pink in him, if you get what I'm saying. And, uh, and so when, when David says this, I, I can connect. I'm like, God really put me on a solid rock. Now, my dad's name, I got some pictures of my dad here. My dad, is, his name's Larry Brown. And that's him. That's when we did our, uh, on the right there, that's, that's whenever we did our dedication service here in the building a little over a year ago. And that's him on the left. Now, that's, that was my little sister. Her name is April. She died when she was three years old, which is another story. But you see how awesome my dad looks with that cool beard and kind of long hair? Like, man, if I could look like that, like, that would be so awesome. But, huh? Yeah, he does kind of look like Hulk Hogan. Uh, but he's got like the Arkansas Razorback shirt on. It's just awesome. And then that's me in the back, little blonde-headed boy back there playing on my toys. And, uh, you know, I love that picture of my dad because it really shows the father's love. And then I love this other picture of my dad because it shows how solid he is, you know. And uh, I'm just just really on. Uh, yeah, those big old hands. Now, those hands, I'm going to talk about those hands in just a minute. But uh, my dad's dad was named Sam Brown. I think we got a picture of him. Now, this is, this is Reverend Sam Brown. Now, he was a coal miner. Back in those days, they didn't have a lot of full-time ministry people. He was a coal miner by trade, and he worked at, but, he, but he preached some on the weekends, and people would have him come in. And so my dad was raised in church, Assembly of God, Pentecostal, Spirit-filled people. And, uh, and so he had a lot of good examples. Now, my, my granddad and my father, neither one of them were perfect, but, but they established some things that were rock solid uh, for my family. But one of the things about my dad is that my, my dad is, is a big man. My dad is about six foot five, and, and he is a big man. And some of you guys were here last week, and you saw him. You're like, that guy is really, really big. And one of the things about my dad, a couple years ago, I gave him some, some uh, gloves for uh, he was retiring, and we, I don't remember if it was Father's Day or he was retiring, and we gave him some, some gloves to protect those big old hands, and I, I had a story about that. But my dad has these enormous hands. His fingers, his fingers are like as big as some of your legs. Like seriously, my dad has got the biggest fingers in the world, and at the end of his fingers, like he doesn't, he doesn't have like a normal shape like finger. Like his fingers like have like like hammers at the end of them, like hammerheads on the end of his fingers. And my dad, growing up, you know, even though I didn't, wasn't really raised in his house until I was a little older, growing up, those, those hands could fix anything. And I was, there was a fear in me about those hands. Come on. Those hands could bust my butt. But the other thing about those hands is those hands could fix things. Sometimes fixing things was busting my butt. Uh, but, but those were incredibly big hands. In fact, sometimes I just, I, when we're with my dad, I'll just look at those hands and I just look at them and I'm like, man, those hands, they could fix anything. And I remember when I was going through the most difficult season of my life, 
And uh, I, I remember just being on my dad, and uh, he looked over at, at me with tears in his eyes. And I was an adult, and I'm not going to go into the, the situation I was in, but he, he, he pulls out his hand. I'll say he pulls them out. I mean, they're always there. But he, he holds up his hand, and he says, son, he said, my whole life, I've been able to take these big hands and fix anything. And he's like, I can't fix what's going on in your life. But you know what he did at that moment? He pointed to the heavenly father. And he said, son, whenever I can't deal and I can't help you with where you're at, he's like someone greater than me. He come in and put his hands on it and he can fix it. And I, I love that about my dad because he was always willing to point me to the heavenly father. Son, when these hands can't fix, the father can. And I love that my, my earthly father and I share a heavenly father. Isn't it good that, uh, that we get that from him? And, you know, uh, I love it that he's, a, that he's been a, a father that, that my heavenly father can bring resolve to any issue. Like nothing's impossible for God. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned from my dad is, is that he has an incredible work ethic and he's willing to get in and, like, do things. Like he's not going to leave anybody needing help. You know, in life, there's learn, there's lifters and there's leaners. There's those that are going to lean on you, those that are going to lean around and not do anything, those that are going to depend on you, those that are going to drain you, right? And then there's the lifters, those that are going to get in there with you. They're going to help you get it done. And I love that about my dad, that, w- that, that if there's a weight that needs to be lifted, he'll get in there and he'll lift it. He's not going to point and say, hey, somebody needs to take it. He's actually going to get in there and do it, and he's going to help carry the weight. And uh, our Heavenly Father, how much more is our Heavenly Father like that? It says in Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2, it says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. So no matter what your trouble is, no matter what your difficulty is, God is always there. And his hands are much bigger than my earthly father. You know what I'm saying? That, that's kind of my grid. I'm like, my heavenly father's hands are bigger than that. And, uh, and so I love it that I have that example in my, in my earthly father. He says, therefore, we'll not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Earthquakes are going around. My whole world is crumbling. I will not fear because God is my refuge. God is my strength, and he always hooks me up when I'm in trouble. So the first thing is, is that my earthly father and my heavenly father are rock solid. Number two, awe-inspiring. Awe-inspiring. Or you can use the word awesome. That means expressing or inspiring awe. Uh, Psalm 40, verse 5 from our, from our text here. Many, O Lord, or my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. And David is, is talking here about, about just the, the, the wonderfulness of God. I mean, when we talk about God being wonderful, what we're saying is that he's full of wonder. Right? He's full of wonder. And when I think of my dad, my dad is full of wonder. Like, I'm always, I'm always still to this day, you know, about to be 41 this week. My, I still go to my dad, and I'm like, wow, I want to know about this. I want to I know what you think about it. I, I'm, I'm in awe of you. I am in wonder of my dad. I love to hear my dad tell stories. Um, I have a dream of going, like, d- traveling across America. And I love, I love Leslie. 
uh, and y- y'all know I do, but she's not like the best like road companion because she sleeps the whole time. But for me, my dad is taking us on a lot of road trips, and I love taking road trips for my dad. So I kind of have, you know, they have this map where you can drive around and touch all the states of the U.S. in, you know, 10 days or something. I, I really long to do that with my dad, you know, and uh, one day because I-, I love to be in the car with my dad. For hours and hours and hours. I just love to hear him tell stories about whenever he was a kid growing up in north, uh, northwestern Arkansas. I love to hear the stories of his childhood whenever he would fight with his brothers with BB guns. They would actually, they didn't use like airsoft guns or like Nerf guns. They used like BB guns and shot one another. And I love to hear stories about that. It's so crazy and barbaric, but it's awesome. And so I, I, I'm just in awe of my dad. I love to hear stories about how they would sneak in, even though it was wrong, they would sneak into to uh, watermelon patches and break open watermelons right there in the middle of a farmer's land and eat the heart out of the watermelon, you know. And I just, I love to hear the stories of him working in the oil field and all the funny things that he experienced in there. I love his little little dadisms, right, those things that he says, those little sayings that he has that, that nobody even knows, but you only know by being in that culture of your dad. My dad is awe-inspiring. I could just listen to him talk all day. In fact, I find great comfort in discovering the wonder of my dad. And how much comfort do we find in our Heavenly Father? When we come and we get into worship, it's just a time for us to gaze upon the beauty of of our God. It's a time for us to just come in and just reflect on His wonder. Listen, if you're bored with God, it's simply for one reason. You're not looking at Him. If you're bored in your walk with Jesus, is there, if there's not a fire in your heart to serve Jesus and to love Jesus, it's just because you're not looking. All you have to do is just spend a few minutes looking at him. And it's just the, the gaze is unending. It's like, oh, and this is about God, and this is about God. And I've heard this, but I've never experienced it. Man, God is a God of wonder. And listen, our heart is created to be fascinated, right? We went and saw, last week, we went and saw that new Jurassic Park movie. And, you know, we, we, we pay tons of money every year. Why? To be fascinated, to be not bored, right? To get the, the greater gadget, to go, to go see the better movie, to see the better special effects. Why? Why do we do that? Because we hate being bored. We love to be fascinated. Our human heart longs to be fascinated. We long to be blown away. Man, we have a God that is that is infinitely more intricate and involved and fascinating than anything that we can come up with our human mind. And I'm blown away by the things that we can come up with. But listen, if you just spend just a few moments gazing at God, be be prepared to be blown away. Because that's what my God does. He is full of wonder. If you're bored, you're not looking. You know, one of the... uh, Emphasis is one of the values that we have here at Overflow Church is, is to discover the wonder of God. Like that we're discovering new things about God all the time. The reason why we're discovering new things about God all the time is because that's what we signed up for when we came to Jesus. We said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life and the rest of eternity learning about God. How many know that, that when you think that you've learned all there is to learn, there's a whole other Pandora's box to be opened with God. And so if you're not discovering that, it's because you're not growing. And it's just simply for one thing. You're not spending any time with him. And so I, there's still things I can learn about my earthly father. Still things I can learn. With That's why I'll go on that trip. I'm ready. I'm like, come on, Dad. When are we going to do it? You know, when are we going to be in the car for 80 hours? We'll probably fight and we'll probably argue and all that kind of stuff. But for me, I long for that because I can learn more about my dad. And how much more with a heavenly father who has no end 
Can we be blown away in wonder and awe? Uh, you know, one of the things that Bill Johnson says that, w- that we say around here a lot is that God is, is not hiding things from us. He's hiding things for us. And God's not hiding from you. You know, when, when I, sometimes when I go in the house, you know, and play with the kids, sometimes they want to play hide-and-go-seek, and they want to go in the other room and hide. How many know they're not, they're not hiding from me? They're hiding for me. Right? They're not hiding to be lost and we never discover them. No, they're hiding to be found. They really are. In the grand scheme of things, they want to be found. They want to jump out and scare me or something crazy like that. And so God isn't, listen, God isn't hiding things from you. He's hiding things for you. He, he, there's things about him that you don't know yet, but he's not, he's not saying, I don't want you to know. He's saying, I want you to know. But will you come? Will you come on this journey? Will you come and discover me? Psalm 25, uh, uh, sorry, Proverbs 25, 2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to search it out as a matter of the glory of kings. So the thing is, is God has made us a kingdom of kings and priests. So the reason why God established you like that is so you can discover who God is. Because God has given you that privilege and that right to go and to find out. God conceals the matter, but you get to find it out. It's his glory to conceal it. It's your glory to find it. He wants you to find it. So when are you going to start looking? Colossians 1.26, Paul says, he says that the message we kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now is revealed to God's people. All these mysteries, all these like, oh, God is a mysterious God. Right? He's so mysterious. How many know that he's not caught up in that? He wants you to discover him. He doesn't take no glory and be like, I'm so mysterious, I don't want you. The reason why he sent Jesus is to get rid of that old blonder. To get rid of that thing that's keeping you from knowing him. He wants you to discover him. Would you get lost in the wonder of God? He is a God of wonder. He is awesome. What is that word awesome? We think, I think awe. When I think of the word awe and I, I look at God, I'm like, Right? It's just like that, oh. Right? You look at the Father, He visits you, you're spending some time with Him, and you're just like, oh. Right? It's the awesome, the awe-inspiring power of God. Are you good? So He is a God of wonder. Number three, the third thing that I learned about my Heavenly Father from my earthly father is commitment. My dad is so committed. He is the most committed person I've ever met in my life. Listen, Psalm 40, verse 3, many in sea of fear put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust. Why are we blessed when we make the Lord our trust? Because he's trustworthy, because he's a God who is not able to fail. There's nothing God can't do. He can't fail. He can't lie. He can't fail. God can't fail. It's not in his ability to fail you. It's not in his makeup to fail you. It's impossible for God to fail. He just comes through. That's what he does. So blessed are those who make him in their trust because when you trust God, it's done. It's all good. It might not feel all good. It might not look all good. Everything, the world may be crumbling and falling around you, but it's all good. Why? Because you've made the Lord your trust. Uh, my da- dad has, a, has an incredible work ethic. He, uh, a couple years ago, he retired from a company he spent 35 years working for, two years ago. And uh, he, my dad received over 80 emails from people that worked with him telling him, man, the end of an era has happened. 
Because we're not seeing people like this anymore. We're not seeing people of commitment and devotion and people that are willing to work the long hours and spend the long phone calls and show up whenever it's difficult and show up when they're sick. We're not seeing that anymore. Everybody just wants to be lazy and everybody just wants to do that. They don't want to pay anything with their time. They don't want to pay anything with their energy. They just want a handout. And I love that my dad did that. But this is what's crazy about my dad. My dad worked 35 years in the same company. Retires, all, all this honor, all this kind of stuff. And you know what my dad did a week after he retired? He went back to work. Why? Because he is a dedicated man. He knows that he is created to work. He's created, you know, all of we dream of retirement. I don't have a retirement plan. I hope I'm like my dad when I'm this age because I'm like, I hope that that work ethic is in me. And, uh, you know, our, our t- culture is so driven towards comfort and convenience instead of valuing hard work and a life of dedication. You know, we, we're, we're cautious to sign, to, to, to sign up for anything. I, I notice that here in our church. People won't sign up for anything because they're afraid of commitment. People who live together years won't get married. Why? Because they're afraid of commitment. We're just living together. Why? Why don't you get married? You're living, to, you're living like a married couple. I'll tell you why. You need to put a ring on it, sucker, right? You, you need <laughs> come on. Uh, so, so what we do is if we don't like our job, we find a new one, right? We don't like our church, we find a new one. We don't like our marriage, we find a new one. Oh, while I'm talking about marriage, let me just say this, a little word to you on marriage real quick. We don't do a lot of series on this kind of stuff. People people get married, get divorced, and this is what they say because they weren't committed. They say we were incompatible, right? It's like one of the one of the reasons you can legally get divorced is you're incompatible. Can I tell you today that no two people on the earth are compatible? You are a complete individual. You have your own DNA. You are incompatible with anybody else. So it's not a, an issue of compatibility. It's an issue of commitment. So the key to successful marriage is commitment, not compatibility, right? So are you willing to make it work? It, marriage, the key to successful marriage isn't 50-50. We're just 50-50. No, no, no. It's 100-100. It's commitment. It's a devotion. So we got to learn to be a devoted people. How many of you are glad that we serve a devoted God? Again, he cannot fail. He, he follows through. It's what he does. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 says this. Now, when people take an oath... They call on something greater than themselves to hold them to it, right? And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received, how many of you know that God didn't need to make an oath? I mean, it's impossible for him to lie. So if he says he's going to do something, he kind of has to do it. This is the way he is. So God, given both his promises and his oath, these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. So we serve a God of commitment. God isn't partially committed. Let me also say this about God's commitment. Earthly commitment looks like this. I'll commit to you as long as you commit to me. We don't serve a God like that. He's committed to you. To the faithless, he remains faithful. God is constant. His, his commitment to you isn't contingent upon your commitment to him. He is always available. That's scary good news. Because 
I don't know about you, but I feel God every day. Every day I feel God. But God has never failed me, not one day. Not one moment. Not one thought. Not one desire has God ever failed me. God has remained. He is constant. He is steadfast. So, I'm closing up here. In a culture that's so wishy-washy and masculinity is losing its fortitude, I want to give a charge to you today. First of all, let me say this about masculinity because I mentioned that word. It's not to be confused with ego. Masculinity and ego are not the same thing. Listen, masculinity, love and compassion are the highest priority of masculinity. Love and compassion. Where do you get that? I think God's pretty masculine. People are like, well, God, listen, Scripture goes on and on about he. There's a, God possesses the comfort and the things that we get from a mother, but, but he's a heavenly father for a reason because God is the epic of epicness of masculinity. God is, ma- and what is, what is God? God is love. Now, love isn't God. God is love. God, God's character, his divine flow, his function is always love and compassion. Look at Jesus. Jesus looks just like the Father. So if you want to be masculine, love and compassion are always at the front. Always at the front. Okay? Okay. So in a culture as wishy-washy and masculinity is losing its fortitude, number one, to the children and the younger, I would say look for a man to model. Maybe you don't have a dad at home. Maybe you know someone that don't have a dad at home that, that's a man they can model. Don't find some sissy that's flippant with conviction. Find somebody that's solid in conviction, someone that has some standards, somebody that, that you disagree with with their standards. Their standards are too hard. Look for someone like that. Look for someone that can sharpen you and challenge you. Don't look for someone that's just like you. You're looking for a father, not a brother. So you need to go out and you need to find that person. Sometimes as, as a spiritual child, sometimes I need to go find someone that can make me better and to be vulnerable to that person whenever they correct me and say it. So if you listen, if you don't have somebody in your life that, that can correct you and speak into your life, then you, you need to find somebody. You need that in your life. I need it in my life. You need it in your life. Someone that's going to that's gonna speak into your life and you're not going to run off because they do it. No, no, no. Relationship commitment. Someone that disagrees with you. Not on the core things. I mean, you don't want to go to some like Buddhist and ask them to be a spiritual. But someone that's, someone that lives holier than you. Listen, somebody that's old school. You need to find somebody that's old school because you got too much new school in you. I want old school, like biblical old school. That's what I want. That's the value system I want. You're not going to find that in our culture. You're going to find it in a man or woman of God. So to the children and the younger, I say, look for a man to model. Number two, to the single women, I say this. Never never settle for a man who can't be reliable, who can't control his temper, who can't hold down a job. Find someone. Listen, some of you guys, I would also say this. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait. Listen, to the single women, Listen. If he, if he loses his temper all the time, if he can't hold down a job, if he can't love Jesus, he don't compromise all the time, he ain't playing a game, he ain't wishy-washy in his walk with the Lord, you find someone faithful to Jesus. Listen, if he is not faithful to Jesus, who is the king, why would he be faithful to you? 
You hear that? <laughs> just kidding. I know, no, no, you're good. You're good. I'm looking over here at Brooke, but we all know Nathan's a good guy. <laughs> Listen, there are worse things than being single. There are worse things than being single. I've met some women in my life that, that, are, that are godly, try to raise their kids, and all they ever wanted was a man for their children. And what happened is they rotated from man to man to man, wind up with this loser, and then wind up with this loser because they are afraid of being alone. There are worse things than being single, far worse things. You could, be, you could be married to some rageaholic, somebody that's egotistical, that's prideful, that's mean-spirited. You could have that. Now, I'm not talking about you got to find somebody perfect. You, you need to find someone humble. Humility is more important than perfection because there's no such thing as perfection. But if you find a man that's humble, he'll recognize that he's screw-up and he needs God. And he'll get the help he needs to be that man. So you're not going to find perfection. You, you better stop looking for that. But you better find someone that's sold out to Jesus. Because if, if they're faithful to Jesus, they'll be faithful to you. When that, when that temptation comes their way, there's a, there's a woman that's 10 years younger than, than you are. Or might look a little bit better today than you looked up. You look like when you woke up that morning and they throw that temptation. Their commitment to Jesus is there to show that resolve. Anyway. To the married women, I say this. Don't you go home and be like, listen, husband, did you hear what Pastor Josh is saying? Woo! You hear what that preacher said? I got to call Pastor. No, 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 no. You believe in your man. You speak life to your man. You don't, you don't use this as no point of, point of, hey, you stop that. You cherish him regardless. You believe in your man. Every man needs a good woman. Every woman needs a good man. So don't use this as a point of condemnation. Use it as a point of encouragement. Use it as a point of prayer. Your man ain't, how much time have you spent praying compared to your time complaining? You don't, you don't have, first of all, you don't ever have a right to complain. But how much time have you prayed about it before you complained about it? If you prayed about it, you probably wouldn't complain about it. Things would probably be better if we just prayed about it. I'm going to write an open letter. Okay. Pray about it. All right. We're in church. All right. Number four, to the man. To the man. I say this. Man up. Be that man. Grow up. Now listen, I'm not hating on anybody, but but it's sad that like, and, and I, I can fall into this too, but, it, but it's sad that we're so self-absorbed. Got to have my video game time. Got to have my Josh time. That's what we call it sometimes, right? I need my Josh time. Leslie knows that. Listen, there is a, it is important for you to have something for you to, but the moment that that takes precedent over your responsibilities, you've got a problem. You need to man up. You need to be responsible. Somebody needs you to man up. It might be your kids. It might be your wife. It might be your future wife. To you single guys, let me just say this. You quit looking for a woman and start being the man that you need to be, and the women will be attracted to you. There's nothing more attractive to a woman. And you could talk to the women in the house. There's nothing more attractive to a woman than a man of God. There's nothing more attractive. So you quit focusing on, oh, man, if I can just look this way, I can do this. No, no, you be a man of God. You pursue Jesus, that is attractive. And you find that man in your life that can say, hey, hey, what can I do to attract a woman? Because I'm going after Jesus. Well, the first thing that you can do is, and we'll get into that, one of those personal conversations. 
Listen, somebody, listen, somebody needs you to man up. And let me just say this, that it's not just the people in your family unit. Society needs you to man up. You claim Jesus, man up. Be a man. When you see it, when you see a woman, you open the door for her. When you see an old person, you help them out. I went to I went to Target one day and I was I was there was this old lady. And I come walking out, all these people. We were living in El Paso. I think we were living we were in Hemerville. I don't know, but we were, I walked out Target, of course I did. And so I walk out of Target. And there's this woman standing there. She's got, like, her sacks and stuff, and she's, like, kind of, like, looking to cross the parking lot. And I said, excuse me, ma'am, let me help you out with that. And, uh, you know, I didn't look at it like, oh, I'm being some hero. I'm not being heroic. That's my responsibility as a man. There's nothing heroic about being having good manners and being a decent man. That's just, that's what we're, that doesn't need to be rewarded. The reward is just being who I am. We got this mentality. Oh, I don't appreciate anything I do. Who cares? Be who you're supposed to be. So I helped this woman out to her car. She's like, oh, thank you so much. And she's just like, like all this, like almost like apologizing. Then I help her out. I was like, no, it's no problem. It's my responsibility as a man to help you out. Sucker. Yeah, come on. You can do that. I'll keep preaching until 2 o'clock. Listen, and I would say this. Recognize your value. In your father's eyes. And then reflect his greatness. We put all the like nice stuff on children's and youth ministry. Oh, what would Jesus do? We have all these little campaigns. When are, when are the men going to man up? Right? And when are we going to say, hey, I need to do what Jesus would do. I need to, I need to exemplify heaven's masculinity.